Amen. God is good. And all the time? Amen. I was not raised in a church that did that, but I like that one. <laughs> all right. Have you, have you ever experienced something that afterward you just wanted to warn everybody so they did not have to go through the same thing you did? Like you just like post it on Facebook and be like, people, don't do this or don't take this route or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, last night, my husband, he was brave and he, he was setting up cell phones for our kids <laughs> and um, there's parental controls because there's a lot of things we don't want them to have access to but trying to set up these phones and the parental controls and everything was an all day process <laughs> and he, he was so good but I'm like next time if we ever advise anybody just go to the Apple store and have them do it for you <laughs> save yourself a lot of headache I think Jesus went through a time that afterwards he was like, everybody, I'm telling you, you do not want to go through this. I want to warn everyone. Jesus went through that. And that's what we're going to look at today. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. The first two chapters in Matthew cover his birth. Chapter 3 and 4 cover Jesus when now he's an adult, about 30 years old, and he's just getting ready to start his public ministry. And the first thing that happens is he's baptized, and then he is tempted, and immediately after that he starts his public ministry, he starts preaching. And we have his main sermon that he would go around preaching in chapters 5 through 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, that's where the Lord's Prayer is found, where Jesus tell, instructs us, this is how you should pray. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins or our trespasses as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into, te- into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've been going through this prayer line by line because we've been asking God to teach us how to pray. And deepen our desire for prayer. Because we understand that when God's people come together and pray, it changes things. Amen. It transforms lives. It transforms our world. And so we want to learn how do we be more effective in praying. And so we've been going line by line through this prayer. And this week we are on the line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a strange line. For one, because it indicates that God may lead you into temptation, right? That's, that's a strange thought. And I think when Jesus said this and he was instructing people, hey, pray, God, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. I think he he was remembering what had happened immediately before when he was led into the desert and tempted. 
And that experience was fresh on his mind. So we're going to look at that experience, what Jesus went through, to understand why he instructs us to pray. This, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're going to start in chapter 3, because it sets up his temptation. Chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, that word just means to turn. Turn from the wrong things you're doing. Turn from your sins. Go in the other direction. All right, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived centuries earlier. His word is recorded in the Old Testament part of your Bible. And Isaiah prophesied this, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. I think they might have just come out there to see the crazy preacher at first. You know, he was a little bit of a circus show. But once they heard his preaching, they began to repent. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, why were they baptized? To understand baptism, you have to understand how it started, which was in the Old Testament. God had commanded his people to go through a ceremonial cleansing, which in the New Testament is called baptism. If you want to read about this, I'm not going to go through all the verses right now, but I think we have a slide. You can take a picture of it and you can study this on your own time. But I'll just summarize for now, all right? Before people could enter into a covenant agreement with God, they had to be cleansed. So in the Old Testament, God's people were slaves in Egypt. God sends a rescuer, Moses, to deliver them. They come out of Egypt. They're at Mount Sinai. And now they're going to make a covenant agreement with God. That he will be their God and they will be his people. That they'll obey him. That's why they're given the Ten Commandments. And that he will protect them and bless them. And God says, before you can enter into this covenant with me, you have to be cleansed. So all of God's people had to be baptized. Well, they weren't God's people yet. They had to be baptized first. And that was to show that, hey, we're leaving our old way of life behind. We're leaving those sins behind. We're coming clean and fresh. And we are going to commit to obeying God. The same thing happens for Aaron and his family when they are chosen to be priests. They're entering into a covenant with God where they commit themselves to serving God, serving his people. And in return, God commits to providing for them because they're not going to be working regular jobs and raising cattle and all of that. It's a covenant agreement. And once again, they have to go through this ceremonial cleansing, this baptism, before they can enter into that covenant with God. So now, thousands of years later, we're in the New Testament. And John the Baptist is preaching. And people are realizing, we have broken our part of the covenant. We have sinned. And many believe that's why their nation was now occupied by Rome. 
We sinned. We broke the covenant. God withdrew his protection. Now the Romans control us. They were looking to enter into a new covenant with God. And they were looking for a new savior to come and deliver them. A promised one, a Messiah. And so John is preaching the kingdom of God is near. This new covenant is coming where God's going to come back and reign over us. And the Lord, that promised Messiah, is coming. We need to prepare for him. And so how do you prepare for that? You get cleansed. That's how they would prepare for the Messiah and for this new covenant. And so they were coming in droves to be baptized by John to indicate their commitment to be cleansed of their sin, to leave their old way of life behind and be prepared to enter into this new agreement with God. All right, I'm going to skip down to verse 11. So John, as he's baptizing them, he begins to prophesy about this new covenant that is coming. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there's going to be a new kind of baptism coming. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? He's saying, Jesus, you don't have any sin. You don't have anything to be, you need to turn from and repent for. I need to. I should be baptized by you, not the other way around. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus gets baptized not because he has sin he needs to be cleansed of. He gets baptized to publicly declare his commitment to obeying his heavenly father. It's the right thing to do. And God the father acknowledges this. He goes, this is my son. I love him. I'm well pleased with him. He obeys me. Right? The other reason Jesus is baptized is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens in his baptism. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. In other words, Jesus is initiating this new covenant. From here on out in the Bible, baptism has a fulfilled meaning. The old meaning of baptism isn't erased, but it is more complete now. It's not just you get baptized to indicate you're being cleansed from your sin and you're leaving your old way of life behind. It's also God recognizing that and giving you the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin and temptation. That was one of the problems with the Old Covenant. People would say, God, I'll I'll obey you, I'll obey you. And they would fail again and again. They just did not have the power to resist that temptation. And so now the Holy Spirit comes to empower people in baptism. 
And what do we see happen with Jesus? Immediately after his baptism, he's tempted and he overcomes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's over, able to overcome the temptation. So let's look at what happens to Jesus next. 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit that just filled him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you look in your Bible, you'll see like a little letter and a footnote that will tell you what part of the Bible, of the Holy Scriptures, Jesus is quoting when he answers the devil. Right there, he's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. There's many, many lessons we can draw from the temptation of Jesus. I'm only going to cover a few. But one of them is that evil is not some impersonal force. We do have a spiritual enemy. Jesus tells us to pray, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. We do have a spiritual enemy. The Bible's clear. There's angels that rebelled against God. They were cast out of heaven. And they're called demons. And if you want to read about that, there are some scriptures there you can read about. Luke 10 and Revelations 12 specifically describes it. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Those are prophets and they're prophesying to proud kings about how they're so proud and they're going to fall. And as they're doing that, they make mention and draw parallels to when Satan fell from heaven. Okay, so that's if you want to do more research, you can look at that there. But we evil's not impersonal. We do have a spiritual enemy. Um, there's these demons that want to, that hate us. They want to see us fall. First um, Peter five eight. It says, be, be of sober mind, be on the alert. That's a slightly different translation than what I got in my notes. Okay, but it works. Be of sober mind, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Have you ever known someone who is miserable and just had it out for everybody else around them? That's what this is. I, what I like about this verse is it says, be sober-minded and be alert. It does not say, be fearful and paranoid. 
We do not need to fear the devil. The power of the Holy Spirit in us is greater than his power in the world. He is not nearly as powerful as he would have you believe. In fact, if he has a superpower, it's deceit. The Bible calls him the father of all lies. He can't make you do anything. He deceives you (laughs) into doing things that are harmful. So we don't need to fear him, but we need to be wise to his ways and how he operates. And one of the things that he does is he attacks us at opportune times. That's something we see in Jesus' temptation. He attacks us when we're weak. Jesus was hungry. Satan used that against him. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus also was at a very strategic time in his life. He went into the desert to pray, to fast, to be close to God, to figure out how do I start this ministry? How how do I accomplish my purpose for being on earth? He's trying to figure this out. And what is his purpose? Well, the first one is to be revealed as a son of God. That's one of his main purposes. And in fact, his baptism is the first time that it is publicly revealed. He's the son of God. And so he's trying to figure out how, you know, I need to let more people know and convince more people that I'm the son of God. What does Satan do? He uses that against him. He says, well, I mean, Jesus, if you're the son of God, well, just go on the top of the temple and throw yourself off and everyone will see when the angels catch you and then they'll know that'll convince them he's offering them a short a shortcut what else is jesus supposed to be doing he's supposed to be ushering in the kingdom of god right he's preaching john the baptist is preaching repent the kingdom of god is near satan uses that against him you want to, you want to bring in the kingdom of God? Oh, well, Jesus, I will give you all the nations of the earth. I'll give you all the kingdoms if you just bow down and worship me. He's offering him shortcuts. He's using Jesus' good desires against him. Amen. And Satan will do the same for you. He attacks us at opportune times. Luke, we're reading from Matthew, but Luke, the gospel in your Bible, also records the story of Jesus' temptation. And it ends the story this way. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I think that, I just think that's one of the most creepy verses in all of scripture. But this one was not the last time Jesus would be tempted. The devil is looking for opportune times. So that may be when you're weak. It may be at a strategic moment in your life. When you're pursuing some good dream you have, a God-given dream, it might be a dream, uh, a vocational dream of like what you can do in the world, how you're to be a blessing. It may be a good dream for your family or for your romantic life, companionship. Those are good dreams. But the devil will tempt you to take shortcuts, to get it quick and easy. 
The kind of dreams God gives us requires patience and sacrifice. And when we try to get those things quick and easy, the dreams can become nightmares. That's one of the ways Satan tempts us. He not only uses our good desires against us, he will use our evil desires against us. Check out what James says. In James 1, 13 through 15, When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So God doesn't tempt us. We're tempted by our own evil desires. Not every temptation is from Satan's. A lot of them are homegrown. And we're tempted by our own selfish desires. And sometimes Satan will use those against us. He'll exploit our selfish desires and make the temptation even stronger. I think this passage is very interesting. I want to flip back to verse 14, if you can. Matt, thank you. It's very interesting because it indicates that the evil desire in and of itself is not sin. Did you pick that up? It gives a progression. We have an evil desire, and if we do not rebuke it, if we entertain it, if we wait in it because it feels good, it entices us and tempts us, and then it conceives and gives birth to an action that is sin. That action doesn't have to be a dramatic action. It can be staring lustfully at someone. It can be cursing someone under our breath. But the Bible gives a fine line of distinction between the desire, the entertaining of the desire when we're being enticed, and then when the action of sin actually happens. A lot of Christians beat themselves up simply because a bad thought pops into their head. And they're like, oh, how could I think that? That's so bad. And then they just, and they just heap shame upon themselves. That only makes you weaker. And it only keeps you focused on that evil desire, that evil thought, which you need to be getting rid of. The thought in and of itself is not dangerous, or is not sin, but it is dangerous. Does that make sense? So when we have a bad thought, a bad desire pop into our head, we need to immediately rebuke it. Say, no, that is not who I am. It's not who I am. And we can rebuke it with scripture. We can call on Jesus to help us. Jesus, my mind's going places it has no business going. (laughs) Help me. And we turn our minds to what is good and pure. And we walk forward in victory. We do not stay there with that evil desire and thought and just keep shame on ourselves. Because that is how you're going to be defeated. This leads us to the next point. The devil is defeated with the word of God. 
Every single time he's defeated with the word of God. Jesus, every time, defeats the temptation by quoting scripture at Satan. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 17. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We, we think it, our struggle is with other humans. It's really not. Our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Not be crippled, but you're still standing. All right, stand firm then with the belts of truth buckled around your waist. We need to know what the truth is. And with the breastplate of righteousness in place, right living, it guards our hearts. It guards our hearts. With your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It took me a long time to understand this one. But because of God, we have peace. And peace makes you ready for anything. Fear paralyzes. When we're afraid, we, we can't respond. But when we have peace, because we have peace with God, and we know that the ultimate battle is won, we can be ready for anything. Amen. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God gives us lots of armor to resist temptation and the devil. But the one primary offensive weapon he gives us is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. That's our offense against the devil when we need to know it. We need to be studying it. I am amazed at how many times I'll be tempted with something and all of a sudden a verse pops into my head. And it may not even be one I specifically memorized. It may just be one that I read a few times or whatnot. But the Holy Spirit will bring scripture back to your mind to help you defeat the enemy. This passage kind of indicates we have one other weapon. Because the next verse says this. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. We have the word of God and we have prayer. And that's how we defeat our enemy. Alright, that brings us to our last question for the day. And this is kind of a big one. We get kind of started this. Why? If God doesn't tempt us, but why would he lead us into a situation where we'd be tempted. Why did he allow Jesus to go through this? I think the first reason was to prepare Jesus. Remember, the devil left him until an opportune time. This was not going to be the only time he was tempted. We have a spiritual enemy. Temptation is coming. I think for Jesus, this is, I can't back this with scripture. This is just my opinion. I think when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
the night before he died, I think he was tempted. I think that's why he was crying out to God, saying, take this cup from me, if it be your will. He would have rather had an easier way out. And I believe God was preparing him for that moment so that he would be strong enough to withstand the temptation to take an easier way out. The second reason God led us, or led Jesus, into a time of being tempted is very clearly outlined in Scripture. And that's so Jesus can help us when we're tempted. So that he could understand what we go through, so he can sympathize with us and help us. 1 John 2.1 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous one. Jesus is at the right hand of our heavenly Father advocating for us. He's our high priest. A high priest is a mediator between mankind and God. And he is mediating for us. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but rather we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet did not sin. So Jesus is out there advocating for us. He empathizes with us. He knows what it's like. But he also knows how to help us because he overcame it. Uh, Hebrews 2.18 Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. It, it is amazing to me um, when I think about God and how he created us and he wanted us to freely choose to love him so he gave us free will knowing that that would also mean we would reject him. We'd be free to choose that. And um, and so when God created us, he knew he was going to have to have a means of saving us. And that would be the Son of God coming to pay the price for our sins. But more than that, he also thought, you know, they're going to go through some stuff that I've never gone through. And God wanted to be able to empathize with us in our struggles. And so he willingly put himself through horrible temptation. I mean, 40 days of fasting in a desert? Are you kidding me? He willingly endured that so he would be able to empathize with us and help us in our struggle. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I think that's important because I think one of the things that the enemy uses against us is that whatever we're going through is like the worst thing ever and nobody's had to go through this before. And, you know, and that's just not true. Maybe the circumstances, the details are different, but the root temptation is the same And people have been overcoming that temptation by the power of God for ages, and you can too. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That is an amazing promise. Jesus is up there advocating. He knows what it's like. He's not going to let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Jesus helps us by advocating for us, by making sure we're not tempted beyond what we can bear, and by providing a way out for us. So why does God allow us or lead us into these times of temptation at all? I think probably for the same reason that he allowed and led Jesus into a time of temptation. One is to make us stronger. Because we do have an enemy. There will be battles. And so there will be times that he will specifically lead us into a time of temptation to prepare us. And to teach us how to overcome. I think the other reason is so that when we overcome, we can help others. Just like Jesus, he overcame, he helps us. We are to overcome and then help others. So when you overcome sin and temptation, don't become proud. And don't seek it out, right? I mean, some might think, oh, you know, well, it makes me stronger, so... I can do all things in Christ <laughs> and seek out temptation. Jesus is very clear. What do we pray? Lead us not into temptation. Jesus did not come through his temptation and become proud like, hey, yeah. No, he's like, no, you do not want to do this. Pray, lead us not into temptation. I think that in and of itself is a promise that the times that God leads us into a tempting situation are going to be few and far between. Okay, it's not his heart to be constantly leading us into these situations. He instructs us to pray, lead us not into temptation. I think those times are going to be few and far between when the Spirit specifically leads us into a tempting circumstance. I think it's also um, a strategy that Jesus wanted us to have, though. Knowing that we have this enemy who's going to be tempting us, we can be praying proactively. God, lead us not into temptation. Lead us away from that kind of stuff. We can be proactive in trying to be out of those circumstances. But when they come and when we do overcome, we do not become proud. Rather, we're to empathize. That's what Jesus did. He did not become proud. He empathized. St. Evagrius wrote something that I just always stuck with me. He said that the hardest sin to overcome is pride. Because as soon as you conquer some other sin issue in your life, you're immediately tempted to take pride in your newfound righteousness. When we overcome sin and temptation... It should humble us and help us empathize with other people who are struggling. Amen. Not judge them, empathize with them. So we pray for them and seek God's discernment on how we can help them.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you do not you do not stay just high and mighty and self-righteous in heaven looking down on us, but you came. The Son of God came to us and lived in our circumstances so you could empathize with us. And that you are for us and not against us. And you do not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And you do provide a way out. And you do want to lead us away from temptation. I thank you that you are for us. God, I pray that you help us not to fear our spiritual enemy, but be wise to him and be wise to his ways. Heavenly Father, give us discernment to know those times that are opportune times. That we'll be alert and we can see it coming. That we can see the attacks coming and be prepared for them. God, I pray specifically for courage because I think there's many times you call us into situations that are battles, that are spiritual battles, not because you want us to be tempted, but because we are to be expanding your kingdom. And that means going into the enemy's territory. And sometimes we go to those places and we get hard and we get tired and we get overwhelmed and we shrink back. And I think of your word in Hebrews that says, we are not of those who shrink back. But we are those who have faith and are saved. And we are more than victors through Christ Jesus. God, help us to believe that to the depths of our being. And help us to walk forward in that victory. And when we are tempted, whether it be by our own evil desires or by our enemy, God, that we will rebuke those temptations and call upon you. And claim our victory in Christ. And God, give us empathy for those who are also struggling. May we not look down on them. May we not judge them. But help us to empathize and pray for them. And seek ways to help them, Lord. Will you stand with me and pray the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you.